your Bibles, your Bibles with me please, and open them up to the book of Genesis. Particular turn to chapter 21, 21. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to use one that we have provided in the seats in front of you. And you'll find our passage this morning on page 15 in those Bibles. I'm going to begin reading Genesis 21 and verse 22. Genesis 21 and verse 22. And we'll read from there to the end of the chapter. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven new lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven new lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven new lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, And then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This morning we are getting very practical. Most of us here are are Christians. And we profess that Jesus is our Savior. He has made us right with God. He has forgiven our sins, all our sins. He is making us holy and He is bringing us to heaven. We profess Jesus as our Lord. He is the Master of our lives. He's the Master over everyone's lives. But there were many who refused to acknowledge that and live in rebellion against Him. But we, however, by grace, have had a change of heart. We believe that Jesus is Lord over all, and we are happy to acknowledge it, and we are happy that He is Lord. Because we have seen that He is wise and perfect and pure and mighty, and just, and merciful. And therefore, Jesus' commands are not a burden to us. 
Jesus' commands are not a, a weight for us to carry around. We've already been loved and accepted by Christ. We, we don't have to earn His favor by law-keeping. And therefore, rather than being a burden, Jesus' commands and teachings are a great gift to us. A light showing us the best and, and safest path in a dark and dangerous world. Well, this morning we are focusing particularly on the light that our Savior gives us concerning agreements that we make with other people. Concerning covenants and contracts. You see, most of us in this room are bound even now by agreements that we have made at various points in our lives. Many of us have mortgages. Many of us make car payments. Many of us have signed contracts with insurance companies where we pay them a certain amount each month and expect them to take care of us should something happen to us. Some in this room may work with, with contracts and various forms of agreements on a daily basis as a part of your vocation. Many of us have experienced the frustration of having a person or a company uh, break an agreement with us. And some in here may have broken agreements before. I think this is a timely subject because we are living in a time when our American society is experiencing a wave of uh, home foreclosures. Uh, our very attitudes towards things like bankruptcy are, are changing, becoming more acceptable. Many of us even know people who have sought to play the system in a sense. They have agreed to contracts or agreements that they had no intention whatsoever of keeping. And by declaring bankruptcy or using some other means, they have, in a sense, ripped off the people that they made the agreement with. You see, friends, Christians are to be representatives of Christ in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. Christians are to reflect the character of Christ wherever we are and whoever we are dealing with. And this includes agreements that we make with the people of this world. When we make agreements or enter into contracts with people or companies or businesses, we as Christians are to be a people who keep our word and strive to our utmost ability to be faithful. Well, our passage this morning is about an agreement, a covenant that Abraham enters into with King Abimelech, this local chieftain. Look with me at the first three verses again. Verses 22 through 24. Verses 22 through 24. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now remember the context. Isaac has been born. 
The child through whom God is going to, to not only bless Abraham, but bless the world has come into the world. He has now been weaned. He is now a growing boy. From Isaac will come Jacob, whose name will be changed to Israel. And from Israel will come Israel, the nation. And from Israel will come the promised Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of all, who will come to Him by faith. Big things have just happened in the life of Abraham. And in light of that, this passage may seem small or insignificant, but it is not. God has been keeping his promises to Abraham. Abraham has become a man of great wealth. Abraham has become a man of great status. He is still a pilgrim. He's still a stranger and foreigner in this land. This is not the land of his birthplace. And yet because of God's blessing, he is, his reputation as a man of God has become well known. He's certainly not a perfect man. He has failed to act in faith on several occasions. And it was God in His gracious sovereignty that actually took one of those occasions of Abraham's sin and used it for good in the life of King Abimelech. So that King Abimelech came to learn of Abraham's God and of God's divine hand upon Abraham. The result is that Abimelech has at least begun to fear Abraham's God. We we don't know whether he in any sense becomes a believer. But he's at least come to fear Abraham's God and he has now given to Abraham the right to dwell in any of his lands. And now he appears to be quite nervous. He seems to be worried that as Abraham grows more and more powerful... Abraham might one day deal treacherously with him or with his descendants. And so King Abimelech comes to Abraham and asks him to make an oath to swear right here by God that he will always deal fairly and kindly with Abimelech and his family. The relationship between these two men is is not an intimate friendship. What do you think it means that he brought with him the commander of his army? There was a little bit of a subtle threat to Abraham here. And yet, it's almost as if Abimelech is trying to exert that he has the upper hand when in fact the whole reason he's coming is because he sees God's blessing on Abraham and he fears that he may not have the upper hand for long. Abraham is very willing to make this covenant. From this we observe our first lesson. I have three lessons for us. Here's the first lesson that I think we see in this passage. I think it's very clear, namely, that it is appropriate for God's people to enter into covenants with the people of this world. We are not to be a people who withdraw from the world to such a place that we no longer enter into promises, into contracts, into agreements with the people of this world. It is appropriate for us to do that. At the end of verse 24, Abraham says emphatically in the Hebrew, I will swear. Now we might remember that our Lord Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that His people are not to take oaths. However, if you'll remember, the Lord Jesus was speaking there about the normal conversations that we have. 
He was addressing a people who had begun swearing by God and by heaven and by the temple and by all sorts of other things as a part of their common speech. Dishonesty had become so prevalent in a system of oaths that the Pharisees had helped create that if you simply said yes or you simply said no, people would not take you at your word. And so they felt that they had to add an oath with every other thing they said in order for people to take them seriously. And Jesus told His people not to be like that. That our yes is to mean yes and our no is to mean no. And therefore, we're not to be swearing by things in our normal conversations. What Jesus was not teaching about there was those unique, special circumstances in life in which which oaths are ordinarily required. Jesus himself took an oath when he went on trial. The Apostle Paul occasionally takes oaths in his writings when he's trying to confront opponents opponents and he needs to show the emphatic truthfulness of what he is saying. In the Christian life, wedding vows, jury duty, signing a contract, these are all forms of swearing that are permissible in the Christian life. However, it is important that we take seriously what it is that Abraham was swearing to. He was swearing that in his dealings with Abimelech and his family, he would act kindly and fairly and without any falsehood. So also, in all of our oaths that we may need to take during our lives, we must always take them with a sense of solemnity, promising before God to do the same. Yes, we expect the insurance company to cover us when we break our leg. But we are also promising that we're going to make our payments and we're going to make them on time. We are promising to treat that company, which is made up of people families. We're going to treat them with integrity and honesty, even as we expect them to treat us. I wonder, when was the last time that you entered into an agreement with someone? Perhaps it was no more than a verbal agreement sealed with a handshake, or perhaps it was something on paper sealed with your signature. But during that moment, were you making a note in your mind, I am doing this before God, whom I represent in this world, and my faithfulness to this agreement will reflect on my Savior, who never breaks His word, and who is careful to keep every promise He ever made? We've been reading through the Proverbs together during these Sunday morning services The Proverbs has a lot to tell us about business and how we relate to people when money and possessions are involved. Often these Proverbs use the picture of the weight and the scale by which the seller in a market would take those purchases that you wanted to buy and he would determine how much you owe by the weight of those purchases, by the scale. Proverbs 11.1 A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Don't just hear that treating people unjustly is an abomination to the Lord. Also hear that when we treat people fairly, it is a delight to God. He takes pleasure in us when we treat people with righteousness. 
Proverbs 20.10 Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Friends, you know that word abomination is a very strong word. This is not just saying that God just, you know, kind of really doesn't like it. When we treat people unjustly, when we rip them off, when we take advantage of people. It just doesn't just kind of not like that. He abhors it. It is utterly contrary to his holy character. He has to restrain his righteous wrath in that very moment when it happens from breaking forth. Proverbs 20.23 Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord and false scales are not good. The gist of all of this is that we are not to be a people seeking to gain what we can, even if it means treating other people unfairly or unkindly. Crystal's good with coupons and those kinds of things. She, she's told me about uh, people she's encountered who will print off these internet coupons. And they will find ways to use them that are different than the intent of the people who produce them. So they will go to a store and they will find out that even though the coupon says this, they've discovered that, that when the cashier rings it up, it, it does something different. And maybe it works for a different product. And, and in doing so, they find that they're able to, in a sense, steal from the store, though they would never say it like that. The way those people often seem to justify it is, well, it's a loophole. And it's the store's fault for creating the loophole. Friends, whether we are the seller or whether we are the buyer, we should always be looking not to our own interest only, but to the interest of others. If my gain comes through the loss of others, should I be pleased with that? Our world celebrates that kind of savviness. That if a great deal comes at taking advantage of others, is that pleasing to God? We are to be a people of fairness and honesty and respect and integrity. Those of you in here who work in business, does this describe your business practices? Or are you one of those who is out to make a buck no matter what the cost? Abraham was willing to enter this covenant for he had faith. His God was going to provide for him. His God was going to take care of him. He did not need to act wickedly towards Abimelech to gain more. And so also, we should always be ready to make a promise like this, that we will treat others with kindness and with fairness. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. And so Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. And therefore that place was called Beersheba because they both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba and then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. 
See, Abraham is ready and willing to make this oath. But before he does, there's already an issue. There is a problem. There is a well of water here at the very place where they are meeting that Abraham's men had dug, but Abimelech's men had seized. (coughs) And Abraham now draws this to Abimelech's attention. Abimelech wants to be treated fairly. Is Is he willing to return that kind of behavior? Abraham points out that one of his wells, this well, has been seized by Abimelech's men. And Abimelech responds that that he is innocent in the matter. That that he knew nothing of this occurrence. And so Abraham goes forward and, and makes this covenant. But what's more, he adds a new dimension to the covenant. He, he brings out sheep and oxen and gives them to Abimelech as an expression of his own kindness and goodwill. He sets apart these seven ewe lambs to give to Abimelech, probably for them to sacrifice as they make the covenant. And this is to show that not only are they covenanting to treat each other for now and future generations with kindness, but they are also covenanting together that this particular well has been dug by Abraham and therefore it belongs to Abraham. And moreover, I would suggest that what they're saying here is that all of those wells that Abraham dug belong to Abraham and those that Abimelech's men dug belong to Abimelech. That will be important later in Genesis, folks. This little passage will come back to us a little bit later in Genesis. So don't forget it. The name of this place where this, where this covenant of goodwill was made is called Beersheba. That name means well of the oath. What's interesting is that that word oath is very similar in Hebrew to the word seven. And we notice that Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs. Beersheba can also be translated as well of the seven. With that in mind, let me draw your attention to the second lesson that I think we see here. Namely, that Christians must seek to act with kindness and wisdom when conflicts arise. Christians must seek to act with kindness and wisdom when conflicts do arise. Conflicts will arise, won't they? Just expect it. Conflicts will arise between us and others. And often, sometimes, these conflicts will be over money or material possessions. Have you ever spent hours on a telephone trying to work out a medical bill? Last year, I had a very frustrating experience in which there was what we were trying to take care of a medical bill, and there was one company that needed a particular form. There was another company that had that form, and over a period of months, I spent hours and hours, and then I'd get off and I'd think it was taken care of, and a month later, the company would say, We still haven't received that form. And I, oh, it was so frustrating. And come to find out at the end of it that the company that wouldn't send the form to this other company was located in the same building. Blew my mind. I am thankful that, as best as I remember, by God's grace, I was able to speak with kindness with these people. That wasn't the hardest part. The hardest part is the hold time. When you're on hold, and you hear that hold music, I admit, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's easy for us to fall into bitterness and to impatience. And I don't want to make light of that because our God is not ever impatient with us. 
conflicts will come. We are to act with kindness and with wisdom. How many Christians speak in awful and unholy ways when they feel they've been wronged materially or monetarily? It is not wrong to pursue the truth or restoration if a wrong has been done. Abraham was willing to reprove Abimelech over the well. He didn't just sweep the well under the carpet. It was important. His his livestock needed the well. He was willing to address the issue. But did you notice his kindness? When Abimelech denies even knowing that the men had seized the well, Abraham doesn't charge him and, and say, Are you sure about that? How can you, the king of Gerar, not know what wells belong to you? And what your men are doing. Is it not you, Abimelech, who has authority over these men? Aren't you responsible for what they have? Abraham does none of that. He gives Abimelech, what's the word? The doubt. (laughs) It is possible that Abimelech was telling the truth. It's also possible that he was not. But Abraham gives him the benefit of the doubt. And he does not treat him with hostility. Rather, Abraham acts in wisdom. Abraham came up with a way to ensure that from this point forward, things would be made right. Not only is he willingly entering into this oath with Abimelech, but he has them swear concerning this well, and by extension I would say all their wells, that they would respect one another. So this is important that we, that we try and think wisely and clearly and kindly in dealing with conflicts because it's so easy, um, it's so easy for conflicts over money and material things to become personal. Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker, talks a lot about this. How quickly, when we feel we've been wrong monetarily or materially, the conflict ceases to be about the stuff and it suddenly becomes personal. And if we are not careful, these kinds of conflicts can cause our emotions to get the best of us. And before we know it, we're harboring hatred and bitterness towards people in our hearts. Maybe even people in another state on a telephone. You have no idea who that person is or what their life is like. But at this moment, you don't like them. Right? You ever notice how quickly that can happen to us? Right? You're riding in traffic and the light turns green and the person won't go. And all of a sudden, you hate that person. I want to be careful because it it can be funny, but I don't think it should be. I think it's pretty serious that that's the kind of people we are. And so we need to learn to be patient, to act wisely, and to respond with kindness exactly the way our God treats us. For it is He that we represent in this world. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your soul, which is the Lord's. We must not immediately think the worst of people. We should give people the benefit of the doubt. Friends, I have no idea what this might mean for for your life. It is in God's providence that we are talking about this subject on this particular Sunday morning. Why God has appointed for you to hear this message on this day, I do not know. But you might. 
What's going on in your life that God might have deemed it good for you to hear this message this morning? Of course, it's possible that you don't know because God wanted you to hear this this morning because He's preparing you for something that you don't know is coming in the week or two ahead. So store these things up and resolve now to trust Jesus and to follow His instructions concerning these issues when the time comes. Look at verses 33 and 34. Last two verses. Verses 33 and 34. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Abraham plants a tree to serve as a reminder of the covenant that was made here. and This actually becomes a, a mark of a place of worship, a place where, where he worships his God and, and prays to God. But what is of particular note in verse 33 is that Moses, who wrote Genesis, goes out of his way to tell us that when Abraham prayed and called on the name of the Lord, he was calling on the everlasting God. To which we have to stop and say, why is that important? I mean, our God has many glorious attributes, and for some reason, God in His sovereignty has ordained it so that this attribute of God, His everlastingness, His eternity, be reminded to us concerning this passage. Why is that important in this passage that He is the everlasting God? And by the way, that's the third lesson, that our God is an everlasting God. Well, it seems to me that we need to remember that this covenant made here is not just about Abraham and Abimelech. It's about Abraham's descendants and Abimelech's descendants. It's about Abraham's posterity and Abimelech's posterity and this land that will be here after both of them are gone. This covenant is that the peoples who come from Abraham and the peoples who come from Abimelech will treat one another with appropriate respect and fairness and honesty. As we will see later in Genesis, future issues will arise over, will arise between Abimelech and Abraham's son Isaac after Abraham is dead. And yet the covenant that is made here is made in the presence of God. Abimelech in verse 23 came to Abraham and said, Swear to me here by God. And In the Hebrew it might mean swear by God or it might mean swear before God. But either way, God is here and He witnesses this agreement. In future generations, when Abraham or Abimelech is gone, God will still be there. Abraham might not see Abimelech if Abimelech or his sons breaks this covenant, but God will see. Abimelech might not see if Abraham or his sons breaks this covenant, but God will see. Abraham will die. Abimelech will die. God will not die. He is everlasting. Could it be that part of what Abraham is doing when he calls on the name of the Lord in this passage, is that he is asking God to ensure that Abimelech will keep his word even to his son Isaac after he is dead. 
and that if he doesn't, that God will see and know. Abraham may very well be interceding for his son. Once Abraham dies, should Abimelech then begin to wrong Isaac and break this covenant they have made? May God see and remember. Friends, we're going to return to Romans before we get to Genesis 26. It will be several months, maybe even a year, before we get to Genesis 26. Let us not forget when we get to Genesis 26 that before it came this prayer of Abraham in Genesis 21. Everything that happens in Genesis 26 happens before the eyes of the everlasting God who witnessed this agreement in Genesis 21. Dear friends, let us remember that in every agreement we make, in every contract we sign, any time we give someone our word, our word, Though those people are not always with us to see whether we keep our part of the deal, whether they are not, whether, though they are not always with us to see that we are faithful to the agreement, God sees and knows. And God will not let injustice go unpunished. God will not allow unfaithfulness to be swept under the carpet, whether at Calvary or in hell, that sin will be paid for. And so let us live as those who know that every word we speak and every promise we make is made before the eyes of the everlasting God. What is the cross about? Among other things, it is at the cross that we learn that our God keeps His Word and deals righteously with all. He kept His Word by fulfilling His promise concerning the One who would come. He showed His righteousness by not allowing the sins of His people to go unpunished. When we look at Jesus upon the cross, when with the eyes of our hearts we spend time meditating and looking upon our Savior dying there for us, we must come away affected by these two things, God's faithfulness to His Word and His righteousness. And therefore, that is who we are to be people of our word and a people of righteousness. May we run to Christ and confess our failures in these areas. May we embrace the wonderful forgiveness that he gives. May we hate dishonesty and all unrighteousness. May we love truth speaking and keeping our word. Learning from Jesus that these are the way in which He would have us to walk, let us trust Him and walk in just that way. Our Savior is a man of His word and a man of righteousness. Let us take up our crosses, whatever they may be, and let us follow Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this has been a very practical message. So I ask now that you would search out our hearts.
and reveal to us what you are calling us to do.